Welcome to JPI 5, a podcast featuring five questions and five answers regarding the California water industry, risk pools, risk management, and more. To support 5, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, share episodes with others, and leave us a review. Five stars, of course. Thank you for listening. Now, please welcome our host and guest for today. Hello, and welcome to another episode of JPIA 5, where we will ask five questions of our guest. And today we have a great guest and a newest member of the JPIA team. We have Kevin Phillips, who is the Director of Member Outreach. Thank you for being with us today, Kevin. Thanks, Rob. I'm excited to be here and uh, do this JPA 5. Why don't you give us a little bit about yourself and introduce our listeners to who you are and your background? Sure. Thanks. Um, so my name, again, is Kevin Phillips, and I am the new Director of Member Outreach. Uh, I am actually new to the insurance industry. Um, my background, uh, originally I was a CPA and started in the water industry in 2007 as the finance and accounting manager for Paradise Irrigation District. I worked there for 14 years. Uh, the last two years of my career, though, uh, at the Paradise Irrigation District was heavily involved in disaster recovery. Um, the town of Paradise was hit by the campfire in 2018 and destroyed most of the town and the water system. Uh, through that time, uh, I worked through the um, recovery of the water system and the financial portion of trying to recover finances to help uh, fix the uh, water system. Um, after that, I actually moved over into the town of Paradise and became the town manager of the town of Paradise. So in 2020, I moved over there and uh, worked as the town manager and uh, was able to, to help, again, back into the financial side of things of recovering um, FEMA funds and getting projects accomplished in the town. Uh, so uh, a lot of those type of backgrounds and not a lot of the insurance side. So uh, one of the backgrounds, though, uh, from the insurance side was when I was with Paradise Irrigation District, I actually served on the finance committee for Aqua JPA. So I was able to kind of see the uh, the the back end of how things worked from the committee side uh, and just really fell in love with this organization and uh, was really excited to kind of see this position open up and uh, can't wait to be part of it. I think you bring a very, very unique skill set to the team, which is incredibly valuable to the members. Uh, we've never had a former uh, general manager, executive director of a water district on as part of the team. And I think it's valuable that we all can learn from your experience and it helps guide us in how we can best assist our members, which is the most important thing to do. So you're in a brand new position. What's your vision for what this position will entail for, let's say, just the next six months? Sure. So yeah, then the next six months. So I've been on board for almost two months. So um, there's been a lot of learning going on um, from from my position. What I'm trying to do is really understand what Aqua JPA does in the back end, really understanding the insurance markets, um, how we get pricing, how we get uh, that excess carrier or the excess insurance out. Um, 
Because from the front end, which I'm normally used to from the district manager side of things, we just see an invoice that comes through and understand that we're getting great coverage and great service from Aqua JPA. So really being able to understand the back end so that when I'm out there and talking to these general managers, these board members, uh, the HR members, that I can really understand kind of maybe their concerns, their questions, and be able to answer them uh, with, with the knowledge of uh, Aqua JPIA. Um, so really trying to understand a lot of those those technical issues um, and then getting out to the members and, and talking to them and understanding their unique needs. Uh, with my background, I really do understand that every water district has their own unique need, needs. Not every water district does it the same way. And so really trying to make sure that I'm listening to those needs and maybe bringing back and interpreting their needs from a water district standpoint, how we can best um, uh, serve those members from the insurance side of things. And then bolstering up kind of the communication side of things to make sure that we're communicating in the manner that is that is most effective for our members and making sure that that all of these great services that I'm learning about or already knew about, that everybody knows about them and is able to to utilize them. So I know that's quite a bit in the next six months. It might not all happen in the next six months, but really trying to to understand and then trying to get out and starting to see some of, some of these members. I think it drives home two points that are, to me, very, very important. One is that as a pool, we work for the members. The programs are by the members, for the members. And in order to accomplish that, we need their feedback. So you being out there, getting that feedback from managers and, and staff and directors in an area that you fully understand, that allows us to better serve our, our members because we work for them. They don't work for us. That's absolutely correct. And uh, that's super important. The other thing that you, you just mentioned that, again, I think is super important and I don't know how much you're already hearing this, but I hear it all the time, is, oh, I didn't know you did that also. And I think there are a lot of value-added services that members are not aware of. So the communication that you're talking about is really very, very important. Absolutely, yeah. And trying to get that, that information out there because we can offer all kinds of bells and whistles to our members, but if they don't have the information or knowledge that those are there, then they're they're not going to be utilized. And so, really getting out and making sure that they understand the all of the great things that Aqua JPA offers to our members, and then getting those members to utilize those services is is really one of the goals that I have um, in the next six months, twelve months, and really throughout my career because we keep adding great items uh, and, and services. So really making sure that we're getting out there and communicating those not only in person, but through, um, uh, other forms of communication. Kevin, as you're out meeting with our members and also in your experience from attending the JPIA events prior to your joining the team, what are some of the most frequently asked questions you receive and, and how do you respond? That's a great question. And so with my unique background and going through uh, disaster recovery, the number one question I get is, how do we mitigate against wildfires? And that's a difficult question to answer because these wildfires that we're seeing and the one that affected the town of Paradise 
did not start in their jurisdiction or their district boundaries. The The wildfire for the campfire started eight miles away from the town, and within three hours, it had crested into the town and had basically destroyed the town. So you can't mitigate against something that you have no control over. And those fires are getting hotter, faster, and um, and, and basically hard to control. So really the mitigation that we've seen that is most effective is really mitigating at the site. And so in looking at um, getting rid of the, the debris around tanks, getting rid of uh, debris around your um, your offices, looking at your meters and making sure that they can uh, uh, sustain a, a high uh, temperature rating, uh, looking at plastic meters. Plastic meters are probably not the best thing when you're looking at a wildfire prone area because they will melt. And then now you have the uh, the, suscept- the, the, the susceptible uh, open uh, cont- uh, pipe to contamination. Um, also looking at backflows or ways to be able to shut off areas as um, structures burn, if that's what was going to happen, because those structures now have an open um, line to to the atmosphere, not only for contamination, but trying to keep up with flows. So really looking at uh, not how to stop a wildfire, but how to actually sustain a wildfire as it might come through your jurisdiction. Um, and those are those are tough because you're now looking at infrastructure upgrades. It's looking at ways that you have done things for 20, 30 years and maybe changing those those processes. Um, and then also looking at maybe uh, taking water samples early on uh, before a wildfire comes so that when you're looking at baselines associated with contamination, which that's how you're going to prove out damage, uh, that you have baseline numbers to say, hey, this contamination wasn't here before the fire. Now it is here. Therefore, FEMA or whoever is going to be covering those damages, this is a damaged infrastructure and we need it replaced. You know, one thing that I recall talking to members about is on a regular schedule, not annually, but but every couple of years, get overhead, use drones, get flyovers, and get photographs of all of your critical infrastructure and so that should wildfire come through, you have before and after photos. And you also know where your structures are located and the conditions around them. That That is a great point. And I agree with that 100% because those are things that are going to s- speed up the ability to get those funding, uh, that funding dollars in. So having those before and after pictures are are critical um, the other thing too is to to look at your property schedule. Uh, make sure that uh, that all of your critical infrastructure or or new upgrades or or items that are uh, you know critical to your infrastructure are scheduled. And if they're not scheduled, you understand why they're not scheduled. Um, you know, and looking at that if a wildfire comes through, how is your insurance going to to react? Um, kind of stress testing your insurance to make sure that you know those. The things that you want to get back online quickly, I can tell you insurance is your best bet to get that dollars to you quicker than FEMA or for through the state's um, disaster recovery. Yeah. So it's not only protecting the infrastructure with um, all the facilities, but it's also developing almost a playbook like the emergency binder 
that comes out and we're going to, these are the processes we're going to follow. These are the uh, other public agencies we need to interact with. I, I've heard about districts that literally keep a binder of res board resolutions, declaring emergencies, the forms they have to submit. And they have, let's say the general manager keeps a copy at his house, in his car. There's one in a fireproof safe. It's just, you know, it's easy to copy documents once they're created. And I like that idea. Like the, the playbook is here. We're ready to roll. We know what to do. And you're absolutely the one of the best resources in the United States on what to do in this kind of a circumstance. Yeah, and that's a great point. It's almost like a district go bag. Um, we talk about those in wildfire pr prone areas about making sure that you have your go bag ready to go. But from a district standpoint, we need those go bags too. And having those documents ready, having those forms ready, because a lot of times you might not even be having your board meetings in your district. You might be on an offsite location, but having those board resolutions are extremely important because it opens up funding uh, to the district to get those uh, infrastructure change or uh, upgrades or or operational um, uh, services back in in service. Um, and so having those go bags is extremely important and understanding that how we put those into place uh, and exercising those. So, you know, we do a lot of uh, tabletop exercises with uh, Cal Fire or with your local fire department about a fire that comes through. And we talk about saving structures and getting water to certain areas in your district. And then we put the fire out and we're all we fold up the map and, and, and call it a day. Those exercises need to move f further on to how the procedures were going to be done to really recover from that fire. And it's talking about uh, bringing out the the resolutions, those documents, understanding who's going to be in charge, um, bringing out mutual aid, understanding that there's other services out there uh, to help you recover. Because one thing um, that we realize is that your normal day-to-day -day operations don't stop when a disaster happens. They continue on. So now you have additional um, job duties that you're looking to perform. Call in the mutual aid uh, agreements, bring in those other individuals, and they're there to support you because you can't normally call up a local contractor to work on a distribution pipe. There's requirements uh, from certifications. Um, and like I said before, every water district has unique uh, circumstances so bringing in those resources is really a, uh, the big effect that you can augment your, your employees with those other employees. Yeah, I, I think that's critical that you have that district go bag. I like that. Yeah. I like that term. Um, you know, so you've been through something that very few people have. And based on that, what advice do you have for up and coming leaders on how to effectively lead a group of people? And that, another great question. Um, and and the big thing that I will say is the the is to listen. Um, you know, with with groups of people, everybody's going to have an opinion. Everybody's going to want to do certain things certain ways, um, and they need to be heard. And so, listening to make sure that people feel like they're part of the group. But also, you know, having the ability to, to take all of those opinions and then having one directive moving forward. 
Um, and, and that's that's a critical portion of leading a group, especially a group that has never done anything before. When you're leading a group into a um, into a situation that is unique that you don't have a playbook for. Um, and so really making sure that people feel like they're heard, but also buying into the end result. Um, and the other thing too, is creating little, um, goals that are achievable so that you feel like you have this monstrosity of a, of a problem that you're trying to solve, but you never feel like when you go home that you did anything to get to that goal. You really got to set small goals that are leading you to that big goal so that you feel like there's something that was accomplished. It could be that um, it was to change one meter for one service to get water to one select property or to one select house. That's a goal. And sometimes those take one day. It could take three days. Um, But those are critical goals that we have to make sure we set because that one meter is going to lead to where you're changing out a thousand meters eventually. And now you've achieved this, this bigger goal to be able to get people back into water or back into service. Um, or, um, you know, it's, it's about establishing a plan. Sometimes a plan is a very difficult, uh, goal to achieve because there's so many critical portions to that plan to make sure that you are doing it in the correct manner. So another way is to to establish a plan. That plan is your goal. Then you're executing that goal. Once you execute that goal, you look back at the plan to make sure that we're still on task of what we're trying to achieve. I'm a huge proponent of small goals. I would rather achieve 365 goals, one a day, no matter how small, and say, I did 365 goals this year than one goal that just is this mountain that you feel like you can never climb. I agree. And 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 that is a an important factor when you're leading too, because you're leading kind of a a global kind of task with multiple people that are trying to achieve these small little subtasks behind that. So if you're not giving them those goals to achieve in those small manners, then they're just going to feel like they're just climbing this hill and this hill and fatigue gets in in the way. And then, you know, you start to kind of see this, this, um, this attitude that it's, it's just too big. It's just too big. So I'm, I, why am I even doing this? So, so really bringing those micro goals down, not losing track that you have this monumental task that you're trying to get to, but each one of those goals is going to get you there. And, and then celebrating those goals, you know, making sure that you are celebrating those goals for those people to feel like they're accomplishing things. And then the other thing that I saw, too, was maybe switching up some of those goals or those tasks between different groups so that there's not just one group that's constantly just in this one area of recovery, but also maybe moving them into a different area of the recovery so that they're seeing something different. They're changing up their lens, and now they're achieving goals in the other. Now you're going to have a well-rounded group that can actually help in different areas because, as we all know, when we're trying to get monumental tasks done, sometimes they don't go as planned, and sometimes you need to pull over more resources to one area or the other. So now you have a well-rounded team that is now going to be able to support one another. Yeah, 
I wish more more leaders took the approach that you did and understood the concept of Sisyphus and pushing that rock up the hill and always having it come back down and never accomplishing anything. Celebrating a small goal, such as just replacing one meter and reminding staff. So that that one meter affects an entire family and affects how they deal with their family. And you're making a huge impact on someone's life just because of one meter getting replaced. And it's important that leaders remember not to forget to have staff understand how much they affect the community they live in. That's right. Yeah. You don't realize how important water is until it's not there or there's restrictions on it. Uh, one thing we also learned through this process is that when, when you have a disaster and you have to put restrictions on your water due to contamination, due to depressurization, uh, or just due to lack of knowledge of what's there, um, it's very easy to put restrictions on people. They listen to you as the expert in the water. If, they're, if you're telling your customers not to drink their water, they're not going to drink their water because they believe you. The most difficult process is to take that restriction off them. So when you tell them again that it's okay now to use their water, they're going to ask the question, why, how, what, what, what did you do to change it from not being able to drink it to drinking it? So making sure that you have those tasks that you are doing to prove out not only to your 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 employees on doing, but that then translates to the to the customer to say, your water's safe because we did X, Y, and Z, and now you can drink your water. Um, and I think that's an important factor again um, to to those monumental tasks making an effect on your customer base is that there is that. Uh, portion where you are you are affecting their life when you put a restriction on their water. And now you want to take that off. You want to make sure that they feel as comfortable as possible and trusting. Again, they trusted you not to drink it. Now they have to trust you that it's safe. So we've talked about how as a leader, you worked with your staff. But another part of the job of a leader in our industry is working with the elected board of directors. What advice do you have for other executives, general managers, or anyone who is working with a board of directors and elected officials? Yeah, that that one that one's always a difficult one, and um, each uh, board member or elected official is, is doing it for 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 some other reason or some reason that they feel is is going to benefit their constituents or or the district or the jurisdiction that they're that they're living in. And so one of the big ones I'll go back to it again is listening to them and making sure that you respect their position. Also the the big thing too is to set those boundaries early on uh, so that they understand what their role is and they also understand what your role is. Um, some of the most difficult conversations that I've had with elected officials are the one-on-one -on -one conversations when they're telling you what you should be doing. And the other difficult conversation is when you respond back to them and say, I don't listen to one board member or one council member. I listen to the 
the majority decision of that board member or that or, or of that board or of that council. So really setting those those expectations early, respecting their position, and then listening to their ideas. Um, it doesn't mean you have to move forward with every one of their ideas, but it, you it gives you a better understanding of where they're coming from when they actually do bring something to their to the board, to their committees, to their city councils. Uh, for for where they're going to be. It also helps you too is if they don't agree with something where the the board is moving forward with, and maybe it's a good movement forward, but they still don't agree with it. If you understand their position, maybe there's a way that you can communicate to them about how there's a compromise there um, and that they can actually support that decision, move forward with that decision, but still have their own opinion. It seems so easy. Uh, just how we deal in life, which is respect someone, be transparent with someone, and listen to someone. And you can't go wrong if you do all three of those things. Uh, that's how you build bridges. And I think you brought up the the right word is transparent. Um, I, I, I think if you are transparent with your board members and you are not hiding things from them, there, there is no way they can come back to you and say, I didn't know about this. You didn't tell me about this. Um, they might not like the information, but as long as you're giving them the information, communicating with them on a regular basis, it it, it helps bridge those gaps of distrust. Um, I've been through many, many difficult board meetings, many, many difficult board situations. Uh, previously, even through a recall of two board members. So there's been a lot of experience that I've seen and the biggest key to it all is it comes down to is respect and communication and transparency. Um, if they know the situation, you respect their opinion and you communicate it to them, that's when you build those relationships. When those three things are not part of the situation, there's distrust. And then they have an opportunity now to go out to the community and they will voice what they feel like is the true facts of the case where you're not where the true facts of the case are not that situation but they don't know that because you didn't communicate it to them yeah it, it's not that hard but when you say it but it's hard in practice it is absolutely so let's circle back to your job your job as director of uh, member outreach and let me ask you our your last question for today if a member were to ask you how to get the most out of the aqua jpia what would you say i would say ask questions. I think if you have a question that you are wondering about when it comes to Aqua JPA, ask it. A lot of times, you know, it's it, it's difficult to communicate everything because there's so much that we offer here and we do our best to try to get all that information out there. But there's certain things that we maybe have not thought about or we've offered but we haven't been able to get it out there to communicate it to to, to get it out to all of our members. So ask questions. Um, there's also an opportunity to volunteer on a lot of committees. Um, and so looking at maybe an opportunity to volunteer for a committee, come to our conferences, uh, be part of uh, the, the Monday and Tuesday sessions. Um, we offer a ton of training. And I think that is one area that we wanna get more out there to our members. So if there's a class, if there's an, uh, a thought that you have that you feel like there might be an 
more need for more training, ask about it. Call our training department, ask about maybe developing the training or the the probably we already have it developed. We just need to get it out there to to implement. So really, I think is inquire to Aqua JPA about our services, about your needs, and then uh, allowing us to try to to try to help you. And, and of course, listen to not only this episode, but also all the back episodes of JPIA five to find out more about what you don't know about regarding Aqua JPIA. <laughs> That's right. It's the, this podcast and the, the the five has been a great resource. And I see this as a as a great resources moving forward too. Again, if you have uh, ideas for maybe topics that you would like to hear on this podcast, please send them over, and we will try to our best to try to get some topics out there that that you're looking for. And if you do have ideas, you can always reach us at podcast at aquajpia.com. Perfect, I love it. Kevin, thank you. This has been great. Really informative. Lots of takeaways for our members. Lots of takeaways for me. I learned a lot during this discussion. So thank you very much. Thanks, Rob. And again, if anybody has questions or, or are looking for to talk to me, uh, please please find me at uh, AquaJPA. Um, my email address is kphillips at aquajpa.com. Um, and I would love to get out there, see your see your sites uh, and be out on site with the, with the members and looking at all the, the great things that are going on out there in the water industry. Thank you. And thank you for listening. We really appreciate the time that you give us. We understand it's valuable and we cherish that you decided to spend it with us. Remember to, you can find us on all of the favorite podcast platforms and be sure to like, subscribe to this episode, leave a positive comment. Thank you again, Kevin. Thank you to our extraordinary producer, Molly Quirk, and have a great day and we'll see you again soon. Thank you for listening to JPI5. Remember to leave us a five-star review, comment, or subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. If you have a topic or guest speaker you would like us to feature or a question you would like to learn more about, please send us an email at podcast at aquajpia.com. Until our next episode, thank you for making us a part of your day.